What's up, everybody? My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here, and I am really privileged on this Sunday as we're talking about justice to be joined by my big brother, Judge Jared Rice. Now, in your, in your expert opinion, unbiased expert opinion, which is the only team that is uh, allowable to, for real New Yorkers to cheer for in the NBA? So I'm old school. I go back to the 90s and the days when we only had one team in New York. I don't even know. There's another team in New York right now? There we go. That's a good question. That is, there's only, I mean, is there another one? I don't know. That's a question. Uh, so being a, a judge, you have to go to law school, all this training, all these different things. Uh, do they do, they do background checks and everything on you. I'm wondering if the, the bar or the, the, the panel reviewing your application to be a judge, if they stumbled across this story. When we were about, I was about seven, you were about 10. We went to the store. He told me to steal candy. <laughs> then when we get home, he said, either you give me the candy, all of it, or I'm going to tell mom that you stole the candy. <laughs> Did that come up in your review of you becoming a judge? So just for the record, half of the stories that you hear of me are highly exaggerated. <laughs> so this person that he makes me out to be, that's not just me. OK. Well, we'll dig through the records and get to that later. But uh, I, I, in all seriousness, we are, we are really excited to be talking to you today about justice. Uh, a lot of times when I think that word comes up in America or in Christendom, we tend to think about it in this concept of punishment. So somebody commits a crime, and then they are punished. But when the Bible talks about justice, it doesn't give it just this very narrow, penal definition. Uh, a better way to understand justice is actually the biblical word of mishpat. Uh, in the Bible, this is what it means. Justice means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. To seek justice, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So when we talk about justice here at Renaissance, we're talking about the way things ought to be. So from your vantage point as a judge right now in, in court, uh, what does justice look like from your vantage point? So I can say that um, after doing this for over a decade, we've seen significant change recently um, around criminal justice reform here in New York, starting with raise the age. That's when we now don't prosecute 16, 17-year-olds in criminal court. We treat them as juveniles as they should be. And most recently, we've had bail reform that basically dictates who and who is not allowed to be placed in jail pre-trial. So between raise the age and bail reform, we kind of look back at the former practices, and especially with incarceration, you kind of see how barbaric of a practice that is when we overuse it. Wow. Wow. So in your, in your work, I'm sure you've seen so many different things this last decade, both in practicing laws and the criminal defense attorney and public defender and all these different things, and now as a judge, and what are, the, what are you working on right now? What are the things that you're, you're seeing and, and working on right now? So I became a judge in 2020, and we all know it's been a tumultuous year and period, and the George Floyd um, death really shook things up. The court system in New York, it was a point of self-inflection for us, and we are now systemically looking at ways to combat the institutional racism that permeates all institutions pretty much throughout society. And for me as a judge, someone whose role is not to go out in the street and march, I was able to kind of see what we can do to work with young people in our city court. And from that, we determined that emerging adult justice is the next thing that we're really going to be big on. And from that, we've kind of been centered around the work of working with young people ages 18 and 24. That's great. So what are you doing now that's different than what has been done previously? 
So because the system is ripe for a shakeup, we are now looking at that 1824 population much differently. Um, in New Rochelle, we created what's called the Opportunity Youth Part. So we take the young people and we put them in a special part on Thursdays. And instead of looking at them as criminals, we look at them as humans. And we determine what they need. We have a case management system. We figure out where they are from an educational standpoint, from a vocational standpoint. We determine what behavioral health services they may need, whether it's anger management or substance abuse. And the secret sauce to what we've been doing has been this concept of mentorship. What we do is take high-level um, individuals from our community, we place them with a one-to-one -one mentorship, and they're not their lawyers, they're service managers, they're just individuals who can provide them guidance and advocate for them. And there are a lot of sayings, and, and there's a lot of work that we have, but one of those sayings is, your network is your net worth, and who you surround yourself with matters um, greatly. And we've been able to make tremendous strides because um, we're all pouring into these young people. That's great. So this, I want to make sure everybody's crystal clear on this. So on Thursdays, these kids and, or these young adults from 18 to 24, instead of the traditional route of just kind of you have your sentencing guideline, you sentence them, you create opportunities for them to get anger management, all these different things, training, uh, educational, filling the gaps. And you mentioned a word here that uh, to treat them like humans. And as you, you and I were talking about this, in the last couple of months we've been talking about this, and you've been very excited, uh, I got a chance to read uh, a letter from someone who was, I guess, finishing or in the process of the OYP that had been giving opportunity instead of a sentence, that they saw him as a human. And to be honest, I mean, it, I was filled, my, my eyes filled with tears immediately reading it. It was so profound to see how someone would respond to someone who sees him or her as a human and believes in them and wants to give them opportunity to change their lives. And as I was reading, I, I kept on thinking, man, this this looks a whole lot more like flourishing for people to truly be reformed and to be, and to be changed. Uh, another thing that you said that a lot really resonated with me a lot was a lot of these kids who come to your court, they you know, live in Harlem and the Bronx. Um, and uh, one of the challenges that you've had, obviously, is, is getting mentors to make sure these people are connected instead of being uh, disconnected. So the big thing that worries me, though, to be perfectly honest, is that this is one court on one day a week. And there's hundreds of other courts all throughout the state where kids and young adults are not being treated like this. They're getting a the traditional treatment. And what does that make you think and feel? So the emerging adulthood stage, 18 to 4, is such a critical stage in life. If you are not making those right moves at that period, we all could go back and look at those days for us. Life becomes much more difficult when you're 30 or 40, right? So what we want to do is um, give them these opportunities. And we know that New Rochelle City Court is one court uh, of many. But what we're finding is that we have the same situations that you'll see in Harlem and the Bronx and St. Louis, Missouri and Oakland, California. And we have the young people who are fourth generation public housing. We have the young people who are entered illegally into this country from El Salvador. We have the young people who bounce around from group home to foster home. We have young people who were kicked out of their homes at 18. And this is a situation that is national and it's a pandemic in and of itself, right? So what we're doing is just showing that there's an alternate way and hopefully with more love and more community, we can um, start to make a bigger difference as we move along. That's great. So what's your dream and hoping for OYP in 10 years? How big is it? That we don't need OYP anymore. Wow. That's done. Wow. That's good. Wow. Uh, let me pray for you. Uh, Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for glimpses of flourishing. I'm grateful for my big brother uh, in his heart to see your people as people. 
as people made in your image. Lord, may we all have a passion and a burden irrespective of the specific environment, but to see people uh, and to see flourishing in every single crevice of our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. That story actually was very true, by the way. <laughs> um, hey, so if you belong to Renaissance, um, I, I don't think that you need a lot of clarity about that justice is an important thing, right? Like, I don't think I have to win you over. If you're watching us from Sheboygan, um, do me a favor and go through our podcast and our, and our YouTube. No shade to people from Sheboygan, but um, <laughs> if you're watching us from a place that's not New York and you don't necessarily understand all the things, uh, we've done messages in the past about the importance of justice, and I would love for you to look those up, uh, because I don't think that's the burning question in all of our hearts and minds today, is should we be about justice? Uh, I think we do have a couple of other things that stop us on the way, on the path to being long-term servants, to seeing God's thriving, God's shalom happen in our world. Now, this last couple of weeks, we've been in our series called Kingdom Come. We've been looking at our values, things like community, things like diversity, uh, things like discipleship, that we want to be formed more and more to be like Jesus. The most important uh, of all of our values is the gospel. And the gospel is meant to permeate every other one of the values, everything we do in this life of our church. That the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's not the introduction. It is the A to Z. It is everything. And certainly the gospel is meant to inform how we view justice. Now, I will say one thing about justice, that uh, the last number of weeks... I've been doing uh, Bible lessons with my son. Uh, a friend bought him one of these story time Bibles, and we do it at night. In the last couple of nights, uh, I, can't get my, <laughs> I can't stop thinking about this lesson about Jesus, our good shepherd. It, like, really has blown the doors off my, off my prayer life. I'm reading this little kid's story Bible, and I'm crying. My son doesn't even know what's going on. But <laughs> one scripture that we see in John 10 shows us the patience of God. And it shows us how much God esteems and values people that we would think we can discard or not pay attention to. John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, however, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. And that statement is absolutely bonkers. Jesus is saying the important is going to lay down his life for the replaceable. Now, in ancient contexts, people would have understood this, that in families, in, uh, certainly in ancient Israel, you might have had a son, and your son would have been the hope of the entire family. If you think about their economy and their entire culture and their structure, all of the hope of the family passed down through the son. The entire estate was passed down to the, uh, to the son, and that son would have been the hope of the entire family. Now, if that son was the family's shepherd, no family in a billion years would have wanted to trade the son for a sheep. Sheep are replaceable. You can get another one. But the son is irreplaceable. Christian theology, we are taught that Jesus is the irreplaceable son, the only begotten of the Father. And we are told that Jesus laid down his life for the replaceable like you and me. I think that a lot of people don't work towards justice because we don't see, we don't feel the impulse 
to lay down our lives in service of other people because we have yet to fully receive that Jesus laid down his life in service of us. He didn't have to do it. As a matter of fact, the trade is actually a crazy one that the irreplaceable, perfect son of God would lay down his life for sinners like you and me. To the extent that we are able to receive what Jesus has done for us, that will inform and actually motivate us to lay down our lives in service of other people, especially people that can't do anything for us. So Jesus, I think uh, in the gospel we are motivated to be people of justice. But that being said, let me hop off my high horse for a second. There's a couple of things that stop me from being a person of sustained and real meaningful justice. The first is this, I just get distracted. Anybody like me where you have good intentions on Monday and by Tuesday afternoon, they have gone by the wayside. There are so many things that bombard us, silly things, trivial things. And then there's like real life scenarios that actually get in our way. And it makes it difficult for me to engage to be a person seeking the flourishing of others when I feel like I don't have enough for myself. When I don't have enough peace myself, I feel like I have nothing to give away. There's been a scripture that's been haunting me the last couple of weeks. I've talked about it over and over again. It's a scripture where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's about to be crucified the next day. Jesus tells Peter, one of his disciples, that I have to wash your feet. And he says, unless I wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Peter finally acquiesces and lets Jesus wash his feet. Now, the, the, the curious thing is that Jesus was on his way to the cross in just a day. So think about it. He was on his way to face excruciating separation from the Father, torment, being slapped, beaten, whipped. And on his way to the cross, he still stopped and made sure he had time to serve other people. What does that tell us? Even when our troubles are great, we can still serve. Now, I don't want us to violate our emotional and spiritual health and to be always available and never making sure that we are good on our own. I'm not saying that. But I don't want us always giving ourselves the day off and letting other people do something because we have troubles in our world. I think when we look at Christ, our suffering Savior, who knelt down to wash his disciples' feet on the way to the cross, I think we get a different understanding of what it means to give our lives in service of others. So number one, I get distracted, and I need to be brought back in to see people like God sees them. Heaven help us if I don't pay attention to the people that Jesus died for. Can I truly have a good relationship with God if I disregard his people? So number one, I get distracted. Number two, this one is even bigger, and this is a perpetual thing for me. I, I just get discouraged. When I think about the mountains that are ahead of us, and certainly we've come a long way, but when I think about all of the injustices in our, in our world, in our city, Yo, I just get so discouraged. My brother talked a little bit just now about the concept of what we see happening all in, in all these different courts. And as exciting as it is for this one court that he's working in, I think about the day after day, uh, these other people who are not being treated that same way. And instead of giving opportunity and empathy in the search of a safer world, they're just given harsh and uh, sometimes um, unnecessary uh, sentences. That's just the carceral system. That has nothing to do even with our housing situation. In New York City, nine out of 10 neighborhoods that have the worst housing incomes have a majority black and Hispanic population. For example, Morris Park and Fordham in the Bronx are about 96% black and Latino and suffer from some of the worst uh, housing quality conditions. Maintenance defects and the highest rent burden in New York City. Now, you know, I always tell stories about 
my dad, and he grew up in Buffalo. Uh, he grew up PO, P-O, couldn't even afford the last O-R. <laughs> and uh, my dad tells the same stories over and over and over again. And, 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 and he actually is very good because the story goes the same way every single time, so I know he was telling the truth. And uh, he's told stories about just like what it looks like to grow up as a kid in tenements in Buffalo, in drafty apartments in Buffalo. Now, if you've never been to Buffalo, if you've never had the fortune of going to Western New York in the wintertime and experiencing that lake effect chill hit your body, uh, imagine being a kid living in a drafty apartment. Imagine going to school the next day. Like, are you able to learn with your peers? Are you able to keep up? Are you able to be healthy if you don't have the right living situation? It's impossible. We, we, we claim that everybody has the same opportunity just because they walk into the same school building. That's a lie. That's just housing. Our economic situation, uh, it's overwhelmingly disproportionate. If you live in certain neighborhoods in the South Bronx, the average income is 25000 a year. Comparing that to Battery Park, it's $140,000 a year. Education, the lowest performing public schools are in neighborhoods with the highest concentration of black and Hispanic residents. Um, the highest performing elementary schools are in neighborhoods with the lowest concentration of black and Hispanic residents. In Brownsville, uh, only 23% of fourth graders are performing at grade level compared to 85% in Battery Park or Greenwich Village. Now, I think this is not just a distant thing uh, other neighborhoods. This is this school building. A number of years ago, the New York Times did a report called As Other Schools Are Thriving, As District 3 Schools Are Thriving, Harlem Schools Have Been Left to Fail. They've been left behind. This very school, which is in District 3, has a completely disproportionate um, outcome. And when you think about just how kids and how people are being set up, it is uh, enraging. Health is another one. The life expectancy in Ocean Hill or Brownsville is 75 years, a full decade shorter than if you live in a predominantly white neighborhood in New York City. The list can go on and on and on and on. And when I look at these numbers and I see these huge environments, I just get discouraged. I'm like, Lord, what are we going to do? Now, a lot of times after messages like this, people email me and say, yo, I'm ready. What should we do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so let me save y'all an email right now and just say that I don't know. The solution for complex scenarios are not meant to be figured out on our own. Jesus invites us into something else besides being confused or discouraged or distracted. He invites us into something called prayer. Now, the antidote to both being distracted and discouraged is prayer. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18. It says, now he told them a parable on the need to, for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he was unwilling but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he, keep, will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? Now, this parable gives us two difficulties if we are thinking people. The first difficulty is that at first glance, it feels like God is being compared 
to this wicked and unjust judge. Now, most scholars would say that this uh, parable is not that God is being compared to an unjust judge, but rather contrasted to an unjust judge. Here's what Jesus is getting at in this parable. If justice can be obtained by persistent prayer, even from an unjust judge, how much more can it be obtained from the author of all justice? This is why Jesus tells us to always pray and to never give up. The first work that you should be doing is to always pray and never give up. In the face of major obstacles and things that are discouraging, pray and never give up. In the face of confusion about what to do next, pray and never give up. In the face of frustration with other people who are not getting it as much as you are or doing as much as you are, pray and never give up. Uh, The second challenge that this parable presents to us is that we don't often see justice happen swiftly. Now, Jesus gives us this parable because he knows that it is an extremely discouraging thing to pray for something that you don't get an answer to, or certainly not an answer to immediately. Whether it's justice or in your own personal life, maybe it is reconciliation with your father that you have longed to have a good relationship with your pops, and it just has never happened. Other people seem to be enjoying this amazing day on Father's Day every year, and every day for you it's just a stab in your side. Here's my admonition to you, as long as your father's still living and this is potentially still there, whatever, you find, whatever situation you find yourself in that is discouraging, pray and never give up. I don't care what it looks like, pray and never, ever give up. The second challenge in this is that we oftentimes don't see it, but the word here, when Jesus says we'll see justice swiftly, it's not that we'll see it soon chronologically, but that when it comes in, it happens quickly. In the book of Exodus, which we looked at this past year, the children of Israel were in bondage for 430 years, and they were delivered in a night. Later in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, seven decades. They were there lamenting, praying, crying out to God, and then God one day heard their prayer, and they were delivered and returned back to their land. Your your call is to pray and to know that God can change your situation God can change whatever it is that we are asking for in an instant. And to maintain that faith and to never become so jaded by waiting that we still believe that God can move in our lives. Now, there's three things I want us to be thinking about in our life uh, today in terms of getting motivated and staying motivated and actually getting um, our feet moving in the direction that we are supposed to be moving in. Now, in a lot of ways, uh, I want to say this. A life of doing, where you're always doing something that is not rooted in prayer, will lead to exhaustion. But a life of prayer without doing anything will lead to a life of hypocrisy. We are called to pray and to do. To do and to pray. So if you're thinking about, well, how can we do something at Renaissance? Um, Listen, Jordan, I'm listening. I'll be praying. Here's what we'll be doing. There's a lot of people in the lobby after service that you can talk to. I want you thinking in three big buckets. If you're motivated and you want to do something today, there are people right now in the lobby that can get you signed up to start doing something uh, today. Uh, One organization I want to highlight is one called um, uh, YFC, Youth for Christ. Um, 100% of the people that they work with are, are boys. 70% 70% of these boys are from Harlem. They are either, either incarcerated or have been re- returned to the neighborhood, and they need mentors to walk alongside them. 
One of the other organizations that we've worked with for years is one called Young Life. And Young Life works to introduce adolescents to Christ. And I've been to Young Life camp a bunch of times, and I've heard speakers speak, and I've been in a room where kids are getting a gospel, teenagers are getting the gospel contextualized for them. And yo, like every single time I'm thinking to myself, they're not going to make me cry this time. I'm not going to cry. Like this, I know what's about to happen. And then it happens, and I'm crying every single time. They do an amazing work to introduce people to faith, and they break out of the four walls of the church to meet kids exactly where they are. They are doing a phenomenal work. You can meet them in the lobby. Uh, we work with an organization called Hope for New York, and Hope for New York is an organization that works all over New York City, and they have a list of different things that you can do right now, sign up for right now. And uh, one of our hopes this year in our DNA groups, shout out to everybody in the DNA group. We're hoping that all of the DNA groups this year serve together. So if you are in a Sunday group, group, quick commercial, your kickoff event starts at 2 p.m. today. I hope you got the email. Check your spam folders. If not, and we're hoping that all the groups, as they are being formed together with each other in community, that you're also doing something. And Hope for New York will be a great way for y'all to, to get involved with that. So that's the local stuff that's happening right now. And my brother also would love to talk to y'all about becoming a mentor through the Opportunity Youth part. Uh, there's also people who, for really good reason, your heart is international, that you see the, the needs in places like Nairobi, and you're like, man, I would love to give my life to something like that. And there's a great need. And fortunately for us, we're working with an organization called International Justice Mission, also known as IJM, and we are adopting their field office in Nairobi, and where they work against police corruption, and they do incredible, incredible work and I would, would not do it any justice right now to try to summarize it. But we're going to be hearing a lot of updates for what we're doing with them. And I would love for you, if that is sparking your interest, to go to that table. Now, lastly, one of our big goals that I've been working on for this last year and change is an organization called Pray March Act. And Pray March Act is something that we are hoping to see real systemic change happen in New York City so that the statistics that we read would no longer exist. For the last year, we've been working trying to build a coalition, and we are going to announce this in the next number of months, uh, unrolling Pray March Act, and it's very simple. We pray, we march, and we act. And we're breaking down all of the challenges in New York City into five different working groups, trying to partner with over 100 churches in New York City, all working towards getting the really big fish that face us in our society. And this is the long-term goal that you might work on something for five years, and still not see the result of what you've been working towards. If that's something that you're interested in, please go to PrayMarchAct.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up for the newsletter, and as we are announcing it and unrolling it, uh, we can, um, we'll give you more information on that. But here's the big thing. I don't want anybody operating with a, op with a mentality of permanence, meaning that if you sign up to work, for youth for, work with Youth for Christ or Young Life, that you have to do that for the next 90 years. My biggest admonition to you is to whatever sounds good, start doing it today. Do it. Do it. First thing, great. Go for it. Because a lot of times Christians use prayer and discernment. I'm just trying to discern what the Lord has for me. <laughs> and you'll be inactive for the next 20 years. Do something and let the Lord redirect you if that's not what God has for you. Well, what would it look like? What would it look like if we were a part of something and saw change happen in someone's life, and saw a change happen in this city to reflect the, the, the beauty of all of the people that God has come and died for.
I think we might just get a glimpse of God's kingdom coming here down on earth. Can you pray for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this, this amazing community of people who want to see your glory uh, happen here in New York City. Lord, I pray that we be motivated by the gospel to lay our do- life down in service of others as you have laid your life down for us. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank <laughs> you.